HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Durkel. I have a smiling Penny De Los Santos here <laughs> with me. Thank you for being on. This is such an honor, a privilege. Uh, for years, I've been seeing your work, hearing your words, and, you know, thank you. Because you've, you've kind of blazed this path for what I've always wanted to do in my career and my life. And, uh, we were just chatting before the show and you know, it's not just about photographing food. It's about photographing food ways or even food systems or food life. You know, uh, this intersection where culture is a very, very important part of image making of the greater story and where to start. I mean, how did you become interested in this in, in both food and culture and photography? Yeah. First, I just that's that was so kind of you. What you just said. <clears throat> Least I can do for what you've done for me. That's so sweet. Um, where did I start? Uh, I think I first picked up a camera because I wanted. No, I know I first picked up a camera because I wanted to meet somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my dad had like an old Nikon something and. Yeah, I just kind of showed up at someone's house and I knocked on their door and I said, "Hey, can I make your portrait?" And and she was like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was in high school. And at that point I didn't really know what any of this meant. Um, but then I realized, uh, wow, this camera can really get me into people's lives. And then it took years and years and years before I realized uh, you know, well, first of all what a privilege it is and and what a responsibility it has and also how powerful it can be 
and how you're really witnessing a special thing. And then when I really started to focus on food, it, it was always and it has always been around the premise of telling stories. So not just looking at the plate and seeing beautiful food, but also going beyond that and really thinking about how people connect to it, what brought them to the table, and and then even beyond that, the moments, the hours, the days before that table even was placed. Well, you've experienced many cultures in your life. Uh, military family. You were what yeah. born and raised in Europe for a little bit before mm-hmm. relocating to the Tex-Mex border. Tell me what it was like growing up in your household. What what was the talk? What was the food? What were the smells? And the smells are related back to food. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I grew up in a very traditional Mexican-American family, but we were military, so we lived in the middle of Texas. So, you know, like many families of that generation, so first, second generation, um, wanted to assimilate, right? Uh, so, you know, we, we definitely ate a lot of American food, too. And my mom was really into being a great, my dad was an officer, so she wanted to be a great officer's wives. And at that point in the military, they, they had teas and they had Sunday afternoon lunch. And, you know, you had these gatherings. And so there was a lot of formality to being in the military. But when it was just us and my mom was freestyling it, it was always you know, corn tortillas and really simple food, you know, whether it be what I would call just sauteed chicken or I'm, I'm not, I'm not really giving her a lot of justice uh, props right now. I'd say chicken flautas, her amazing Mexican rice. I always loved her crispy tacos. So incredible enchiladas, typical what you would call Mexican food, not really Tex-Mex, yeah. but Mexican food. Do you feel a lot like- of guisados, stews. Yeah. So, I mean, already having that kind of language, that knowledge about Mexican cuisine, did you understand kind of the brevity of what you were eating? Like the depth of, I don't mean flavor, but the depth of of, of that food, the culture, the history mm-hmm. behind it. Yeah, I understood that when my mom pulled out her mocajeta to make a guacamole, that it was my grandmother's. And before that, it was my grandmother's. And her comal, which is what she would use to heat up the tortillas, that was also in my family. So, yeah. And I was always so interested in you know, stirring the pot, so to speak, and understanding what it meant to, to cook food. I was always interested in that, and then I was always chased out of the kitchen. I made my mom <laughs> horribly nervous. So she would, you know, run me out of the kitchen, and I would be like, ah. Oh. So, you know, I, th- I also think because she said, out of the kitchen, I always wanted to be in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense that eventually it came back in my life. So in high school, <laughs> holding that camera, trying to take a portrait, yeah, I mean, I never thought about food photography ever. In fact, my first thought was, oh, I want to work for National Geographic. That's my dream. I think every photographer or every person who wants to travel the world thinks, what job does that? Oh, wait, National Geographic photographer. I want to do that. So <clears throat> I really set that as my goal. But then I went to a school where I couldn't really get a photography degree. <laughs> <laughs> but I studied journalism, and, and, and then it kind of shifted for me. And I wanted to work in advertising and do more kind of graphic design and arts. But I always had my camera. I had an internship in advertising. And in fact, the whole internship, they made me photograph, which was... And then at the end, the director, uh, the creative director was like, I think you should be a photographer. So I was like, huh, okay. So, and and then I graduated from college and I started assisting photographers. I actually came to New York City and assisted for a few years. 
And I was really unhappy, <clears throat> partially because I was really broke. And then I started uh, to think about, well, what is it that I really want to do? And I was able to save a little bit of money, even living in New York. And uh, I traveled and came back to the States and saw an ad, tiny little ad in the newspaper. And they said they were looking for a photographer. Horrible place, tiny, horrible newspaper. <clears throat> and... I think I got the job. I used uh, Xerox copies from my university because I photographed for the school newspaper. So I Xerox copied photos from, and the guy, the editor gave me the job. I shouldn't say it was a horrible newspaper. It was actually a really great newspaper. But it was just uh, the town, the environment wasn't the most fulfilling. That said, the first day, I think my assignment was to go photograph a construction site. And I, and it was in the middle of the summer and it was Texas, and it was, it was so hot, and I couldn't have been more happy. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first time someone was paying me to use my camera, and that was really powerful. What photographers, I know you assisted, but what photographers really you know, informed or influenced your style? Who did you look at for, for inspiration? Uh, I mean, I still think I, I, I'm drawn to more the storytellers, and I think it, it, for me... You know, when I look at photography, I want there to be, I want there to be a there there. I just don't want to see a pretty picture. I want there to be a reason I'm seeing this pretty picture. So, you know, I, I mean, it's Cartier-Bresson, Martin Parr. I mean, there's, there's dozens, you know, but I'm not necessarily drawn to, you know, the more contemporary still life photographers as much as I'm more drawn to the masters and just really great storytelling. I mean, my foundations are more in photojournalism in documentaries, so I really kind of look at food from that vantage point. And then, you know, once I once I discovered that food photography was really powerful, I was able to, you know, really focus on getting better at shooting food, and then, and then, and it's still trying to marry the two to some degree. Because I, yeah. Anyway, we can get to that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, National Geographic must have been an amazing, you know, goal. How did you arrive there? So I actually worked at that little newspaper for a few years and was eventually realized I needed to get better. I wasn't great at photographing. You know, my pictures were stagnant. They didn't really speak much. No emotion. They were point pictures, basically. So I knew I needed to grow. And I think the next step most people do at that point in their career, they decide graduate school. So I applied to a handful of graduate schools that were deemed you know the best in fact i wrote a letter to national geographic and i said hey where do where do all your photographers go to school and what are the best programs for photography and so they someone wrote me back they have a research department i don't know if they still have this department but at that point someone wrote me back i still have the letter and they told me the paths that their you know their photographers take you either you know get a phd and you specialize in some form of natural history or science or, you know, you, you get a journalism degree and you work in a newspaper and you get really good and then you, you know, if you're lucky enough, we'll call your portfolio in. And so I did that. I went to graduate school. I went to uh, graduate school and got a degree in visual communications and, and grew a ton. And in the end, before I graduated, my thesis was on, um, I found a prison in Mexico that allowed women to keep their children with them while they served time. It was a co-ed prison, really dangerous. It's now in one of the most dangerous communities in the world. 
a lot of drug violence there. And so I got into the prison for nine days and I documented it in black and white and it was powerful. It was the best body of work I'd ever done. And so I immediately got back to got back to school, went to the dark room, processed everything, made prints and shipped them in a FedEx to, to national geographic. And then they called me within a week and said, you got the internship. Wow. So from prison to, you know, tabletops, you know, I know it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot that happened in between, but a lot, you never, you never lost that sense, that style, that, that importance of how you photograph your approach. Um, and so often I hear someone introduce themselves as a food photographer and not to discredit that term at all, but, I always think of your work as photography and you just happen to be incorporating food into it. Is it important to be a photographer first and then figure out what your subject is? Because there's a you know, different approach to being a food photographer versus a photographer. I think in anything, it's important to get know your tools really well before... I mean, for me, I really needed to understand what it meant to photograph everything and fail at a lot of them. So I think that being a general photographer and taking on every assignment I could and failing and succeeding and understanding what I liked and didn't like, um, helped me realize, you know, hone my style and help me figure out what it was I wanted to say. I think that that's the key is finding something you want to say, having a point of departure, you know, and, and also to that, you know, realizing that, a moment is really important in, whether you're a still life photographer or a food photographer or a portrait photographer it's about really great photography is about a moment it really is so <clears throat> I think it takes a while to realize that and it takes a while to be able to catch that so what were your first moments with National Geographic what were the stories you know uh, concisely said in a single image I mean, you know, they kind of threw me in really awful geographical locations that weren't great stories, and that was their challenge. Like, we're giving you a bunch of lemons, and you got to make lemonade. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking about one specifically. I had to go to Oklahoma City and photograph the Vietnamese community. Did you know that there's a huge Vietnamese community in Oklahoma? <laughs> and I got there, and it was a strip mall. Um, I mean, there's thousands. And so I really had to dig to figure out where they were and where they gathered. And then, then I had to find out if I could get in their lives. And that was really complicated and hard. Um, but I started at the strip mall and, you know, I think I went to this one restaurant. It always comes back to food. I went to this one (laughs) Vietnamese restaurant and it was actually a really beautiful restaurant. And I started talking to the owner and telling him what I was doing because every photographer knows that, you know, anytime you want it, the real community is always either at a diner in any town. The real community finds a diner and hangs there. So every photographer knows the great places to eat in most cities. I would, I would argue that point forever. So I found this great Vietnamese restaurant. I hung out there for an afternoon, got to know the owner, and then eventually he told me, hey, there's a wedding here on Saturday. And I thought, ah. And he's like, oh, and it's a traditional Vietnamese wedding. So that's where I started. And I ended up making a picture that I I loved. It was just this moment. You know, they change when in a traditional Vietnamese wedding, the bride will change her dress, I don't know how many times, multiple times throughout the evening. 
and there's just just really nice kind of moment where she's looking back and her new groom is standing very looking very stern and some, there was something about the color and her body language and she was whispering to one of her you know young kind of bridal attendants or whatever anyway i'm botching exactly why it was so special but it was it was really about this moment this really subtle moment and the color and the body language and it just kind of it took you a little farther into what the story was so what was that instance? Was it being in that Vietnamese restaurant with that tradition going on that made you realize that all you had to do was find your diner, that you had to find that space, that food was, you know, that people were around food, that, that was more special to you than just going out an assignment and photographing a construction site? Uh, well, I mean, my connection, my understanding of why I wanted to photograph food came way later. But I, at that point, I realized... Yeah, I mean, photographers know where to eat. They know the good places to eat. Uh, so if you can find them, you can usually find the community centers. You know what I mean? The people that are the pillars, so to speak. So, yeah, I think that that's at the heart of every great story is is find out where people are eating. Find out where they're hanging out. And it's usually at a great diner. So tell me the best <laughs> diners you've been at throughout the country, throughout the world. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, there's this great diner. Ironically, I had to go back uh, to Oklahoma for another story, for a food story, and I can't remember the name of the town, but it's outside of Oklahoma City, and they it's they serve the famous fried onion burger, which is this Depression era burger. And it you know during the Depression there wasn't a lot of meat, so what they would do to fortify the the, the burger, the patty, they would grill all these onions, they'd caramelize them, and then they'd take a small amount of meat and mash it into the griddle forming this amazing onion burger and it's actually really good it's and they to this day they still make that and it's uh i'll, I'll remember the name eventually but i won't remember it during this time because it's never works out <laughs> well like on that. that note we'll take a quick break <clears throat> and come right. back and actually hear where food made its force and <laughs> your portfolio in your life you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org we'll be right back Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Did you know that pollinators are needed for more than two-thirds of the world's crop species? Most of these pollinators are bees. However, North America's bee population has been steadily declining since the 1990s. Whether you live in the country or the city, you can show your commitment by hosting a hive in your backyard or even on a rooftop. The beekeeping movement is growing, so you're sure to find swarms of folks who can help you find your way. Learn more about the ways you can help be the solution at WholeFoodsMarket.com slash share the buzz. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
here today with Penny De Los Santos. And, you know, we, we were talking about <clears throat> Vietnamese weddings and diners and how diners are those hubs, those central locations where, you know, communities come to and express themselves. Um, you did all these assignments with National Geographic, local papers, but Sever, Sever Magazine, how important was it for them to find you or you to find them? And how did it happen? They found me. Um, and to be completely honest, I was familiar with Sever, but I didn't, I wasn't a subscriber. And I, at that point, you know, I would look at it when I was checking out at the grocery store. And I always thought, gosh, this is great photography. It's so beautiful. <clears throat> um, but an editor that used to be at the Geographic uh, moved over there in his career. And, you know, I, I the Geographic trained me for the first 10 years of my my career. So, and I eventually moved on and graduated and, and you know, started to do other things. So at that point, uh, the editor called me and said, hey, I've got a story in Chile and Peru. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and he said, well, it's for this food magazine, Sever, and it's exactly what you already do. It's about storytelling. It's about moments, composition, color, light. You want, I want you to look for all those things, but it's around food. And don't worry about the food. I mean, I want you to try to photograph the food, but just get the moments first. So I go into this assignment. Our first stop was in um, Chile, and I went with this incredible food historian um, from up here in Hoboken. And she was a powerhouse and just filled my brain with all this incredible knowledge about food ways, <clears throat> about how potatoes, you know, basically were brought to Peru and what that meant and who brought them and how they migrated all the way up to North America and how they're used so differently in Peru as opposed to the way we use them in the States and the varieties are so different. And I mean, just all this information that was powerful. I mean, I didn't realize at that moment, I realized it. Previous, I didn't. So it was kind of a real epiphany for me. And, uh, and, and I, I went on to, to do the second assignment with her in Lima, which was just as incredible. Actually, we were all over Peru together. <clears throat> and again, it was storytelling. It was about place. We were uh, photographing at this really uh, remote, historic, landmark, archaeological dig um, near Chen Chen. And it was about these archaeologists who all go eat lunch and they leave these beautiful historical mummies that they've, they've dug up from the ground and they're restoring and they go eat lunch at this woman down the road's house. Um, and she cooks them strange things like lobster shells with scrambled eggs and Guinea pig. And, and that was the story. Um, and it was just powerful. It was powerful for me to, to realize that there were so, such compelling people and stories around food. Um, but more so that they were endless and I could spend a whole lifetime discovering them and tell them in so many different ways with every person I met. And so I remember coming back from those two assignments and writing my editor and saying, I think I'm going to culinary school. Like I was very serious um, because I want to be really good at photographing food because this, this was an amazing assignment and, and I want to do as many of these as I can. 
Did you? Did you go to culinary school? I didn't. I looked up uh, the best school I could find, and then I saw the price, and I thought, <laughs> okay, uh, I have to quit my job for a yeah. while. And I just decided I'll just listen really well, and I'll hang out extra long on these assignments because I hang out with great chefs and great home cooks, and that's probably the best culinary, culinary school, and it's all over the world. And so I really thought, that's my training. Um, so I make it a point to do that. And if I'm in a country, I'll, I mean, I'm always taking classes or asking people questions or, Hey, can you show me how to make this, you know, after the assignment or before the assignment or, you know, stuff like that. I just shot this book in Greece and the woman owns, um, a cooking school. And one of the things was, Hey, after I shoot your book, can I go to the cooking school? So for a week after the book was shot, I stayed in on the island and, and went to her cooking school, and it was amazing. Does it feel like it makes you a better photographer? Because you know, not just innately anymore, you, you know the technique behind how these things are made, so you can wait for shots. You, you can frame yourself and be ready. I think it does that, it, but it also, I think, gives me some credibility with people who do know a lot about food, and they can, you know, kind of earn my stripes a little bit, and... and um, when I can understand what happens next in the cooking process and, and they, and I think it's out of respect too. I want to know as much as I can about the subject. So therefore I want to study it. Yeah. I mean, how important is that attachment? You know, as a, as a war photographer or as, you know, a Nat Geo photographer, were you supposed to be part of what was going on or were you supposed to be separate? You're supposed to just observe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to some degree, I still believe that, you know, but we're human. So at some point you are experiencing it too, obviously. I think we all ha- draw that line where that stops and starts. So with <clears throat> travel to over 30 countries around the world and, you know, you, you keep on using this word powerful. There must have been tons and tons of powerful moments. And I've watched your TED Talk. And if people have not seen that yet, please go see that. And I don't want to gloss over, you know, being in Beirut during Ramadan in that photo. But... How are these things, you know, not all just so powerful and overwhelming? Like, how how do you separate them photographically and emotionally? And I think the first thing I try to do, and, and I mean this very seriously, is I try to really make a great picture. I, I don't, I want to remember the moment visually first. So I really center myself and I, I really want to honor that moment by capturing it. That's the first thing. And while I'm in the midst of doing that, I've kind of, locked up my emotions a little bit. So I'm just like, ah, I've got to get this right. I feel it. I feel the energy. I feel the emotion. I feel the moment. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting that on film, so to speak. And then I take a minute and I realize, holy shit, this is powerful. And then I get a little emotional, you know, like my voice cracks or I get like little chicken feet running in my stomach happy. Or I just realize, man, I'm lucky. I am so lucky. And then after I feel like I've made the same picture a thousand times, because that's pretty much what happens when you're (laughs) in that moment, um, I will sit with them and I'll have my camera really close by. But it's it's mostly because I I really want to feel it, you know, because I think part of really great storytelling is not only just in visuals, but it it really is in, in being able to speak about it and experience it. And so, you know, I want to, I honestly and truly want to be able to communicate what it felt like to be sitting at that table 
So what did Greece recently feel like? Oh my gosh. Greece was it was um you know, beautiful blue ocean water. An island where I didn't see one American tourist. I didn't even see one tourist. Um a tiny island, rolling hills with sage and and um and then lambs and sheep running everywhere. And it was, you know, early morning, shooting all day, but then stopping around 1 p.m. to this incredible Greek lunch with wine and <laughs> completely enjoying the lunch and then getting back to work. But, yeah, really really feeling like I was there. I mean... I don't know if that's the best no, experience no, it, moment. But. but at the same time, it's, it's an ideal kind of work environment, you know, being there, being surrounded by it, being... You know, immersed in it. Um, but sometimes it's like shooting fish in a barrel when you have a beautiful scene, a beautiful plate. And going back to, you know, those earlier days, construction sites, how do you make a beautiful picture out of something that isn't beautiful? How do you capture that moment? Because, you know, I see so much ripe fruit and so many beautifully baked galettes. Yep. I mean, <clears throat> what if you don't have that? Yeah, you need to be different. You have to wait. You show up a lot. You sh- show up way early and you stay way later longer than you need to um and you look and you listen and you ask a lot of questions because i think you know you can open any magazine and see really beautiful photographs but i was just talking about that this morning i i really think photographs have to be more than just beautiful they have to say something otherwise they're just too cute or they're too precious you know i think a great photograph inspires it teaches you and you feel something. So, and I think that can happen with a plate of pasta or, you know, a, a guy who's herding his sheep up a hill. Well, let's talk about those teachers because you've collaborated on a couple cookbooks, more than a couple, a few, a <clears> few <throat> dozen, thousands. Uh, Jennifer Perillo. Right. Shauna, James A. Hearn, um, Patty Ginch. Pinnich, yeah. Pinnich. 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 She would be yeah. wonderful. I think she's actually show, been yeah. on the station. Oh. I know we, yeah, <laughs> she has. I'm getting the okay from Joe because I know we have her book in her collection over here. But how do you work with people like that? How do you translate their vision without compromising your own? Um, you know, I just, I try to look at what, what it is they're trying to say. I mean, it, at the end of the day, they just want a, they want a beautiful photograph that inspires people to cook. So that's what I try to do. And there's a lot of other variables besides making a, a nice photograph. There's The food's got to look really good, and the props should be pretty nice, and then hopefully the light is great. Two of those I have no control over, um, the food and the props. But I can hire people who do, and, and they on both those projects were – on all three of those projects you just mentioned, I feel like – you know, I got, I got the right people, especially <clears throat> on Jennifer's book. Um, that I mean, I knew Jennifer's story. We're friends, and I knew that it needed to have a lot of emotion in it, and there needed it needed to feel. It needed you needed to look at that book and feel something that wasn't just about cooking, but it was more about you know this one woman's life after it really really changed. You know, and so. I wanted the photos to feel dramatic and 
um, dreamy and to some degree kind of hard. So do you walk into an environment with that forethought, with yes, that idea? I do. Yeah. Totally. Because, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you get <clears throat> stuck shooting rotely in a, in a style, but you know, you need that versatility to have this imagination and being able to have that technical ability to then capture that. Um, Talk about a couple assignments, a couple shoots that you've gone into with something in mind and it wasn't that at all and how you adapted. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I feel like any of the stories I do for Zaver, it's always like that. You know, I, I have this definitive idea. Oh, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I show up and it's not. But then, you know, you just wait for it and eventually the story unfolds. So, you know, you just, I think... If there's anything I learned from from being at National Geographic, it's that the best photographers are relentless, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they they are so patient. Um, because, like anything, you know, it just it doesn't just happen. And you know, yeah. So I don't know if I've answered your question at all. No, maybe, seriously. Maybe. Well, you know what you've done for me is you've made me hungry just thinking about, you know, all these assignments and all these adventures you've gone on. And there has to be food that resonates for you. There have to be certain dishes that... I, not, have, I actually yeah. can answer the question now. I know, I know the answer. <laughs> I just did a shoot, um, a studio shoot, and the client, it's a big box store, Target. They said, we want you to just shoot gelato. And it was awesome because they, you know, we have all these flavors and we want you to be specific about, and we want, we're very specific about the flavors and the toppings, but you can, actually you can do whatever you want with the toppings. So it was kind of, I I walked in there thinking, oh my God, this is going to be, I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to tell me to move each like chocolate chip over to the left? And like, am I going to have to move everything down, you know, every shots because I've had to move something, you know, are they going to tweak the hell out of it? Um, And it was they showed up they you know we we worked for several hours on the gelato but they didn't engage us at all and then i mean they didn't even come to the monitor or look and then they came and and it was it was great i just went completely moody with the light and had an incredible food stylist and uh and a wonderful prop stylist and i felt like we made something we made a beautiful picture that's what i felt like i felt like it was it had a moment it had storytelling and it had really nice food and i felt like that's a great picture i would put that in my portfolio you don't always get to do that um and they thought they thought so too so maybe that's yeah a good example of expecting or thinking it was going to be one way but it was completely the other now you still got me on the food thing, though. I, I'm <clears throat> starving. And you are? I just want to... What was it about the food? <laughs> well, just the idea of being around all these, you know, great cooks or communities. You know, there, yeah. there must be sensory overload, you know, oh, smells yeah. and tastes. And w- what are some of the dishes that you've walked away with that are now in your repertoire? Uh, well, I was just in Greece, so I'm really into making this um, red pepper hummus that is... The minute I got back, I was like, we got to make this. And I had a trip to L.A., and I made it twice there. And then also made uh, – I was grilling halloumi, which is this uh, this cheese. It's uh, I think it's from Cyprus, the cheese. And you grill it so it doesn't melt right away. It just warms up. 
it's kind of like mozzarella, but it, it doesn't melt. And if you grill it, you get nice grill marks on it. Um, and you chisel it with some really nice honey, and it's incredible. It's so good. And, you know, I was eating tons of yogurt, so a lot of yogurt with just honey. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of people n- didn't even know you can just drizzle honey over yogurt. And that's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> we talked about guinea pigs, lobster shell omelets. <laughs> what are some of the more extraordinary and kind of out there dishes that you've had on assignment? You know, I've had, I've had horrible, I've been, I, 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 I was just in India and I got really, really unbelievably sick. So much to the point where when I got back, I was still sick and I was sick for a while. And I think I'm still, it's still kind of coming back. But there was this, um, it's a breakfast food that is very uh, traditional to the Muslim um, community. And it's a classic Muslim breakfast in the part of India that I was in Hyderabad. So it was basically, uh, it's, uh, it's lamb hoof or no, it's mutton hoof soup. And I actually Instagrammed a photo of it because when I was there and it looks like a little rat floating in broth. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, actually the bread looked really good. Um, and it wasn't unsavory. It was very good. Um, I didn't try the hoof. I, I couldn't get to that, to that part, but anyway, regardless, I'd have to say that was one of the more, wow, that's intense looking. Again, everyone should see your TEDx talk. And, you know, th- there was that scene, that, that unbelievable scene which you photographed. What were some of the more, aside from that, extraordinary scenes that you've been privy to while people cook and celebrate food? Gosh, I need to have these, like, prepared in advance. <laughs> there are just so many, though. There are. And I feel like every story is really special, whether it's, you know... The sheep herding rancher in Idaho who, you know, it took me three days to talk him into finally letting me go up on the mountain with his actual sheep herders. And then that's where my pictures were. And to um, I'm thinking about this woman and I talk about her. I've talked about her before in the TED Talk. I talk about this woman named Floor who was just she had a an unlicensed restaurant on in the carport of her house in east 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 la and uh i was photographing her for Sever magazine and she got up in the morning i showed up at her house at 4 a.m it took me three or four days to get her to let me photograph her because she was not comfortable i, I whenever i'm in a country like mexico oftentimes especially along the border people think i'm with immigration and so they're very skeptical i look like a i'm an immigration <laughs> officer don't i Dark rim glasses. So it yeah. t- <laughs> took me a while, but finally she agreed to it. So I showed up at her house at 4 a.m. We got in her truck and we drove to this ranch where they harvested a lamb on site. I mean, she picked the lamb. The guy lassoed it, you know, and then we watched it get harvest within a half an hour. Then it was in the back of her truck. And there we were driving back to East L.A. We stopped for mango slices with chili and, and salt. And we shared that in the, in the, the cabin of her truck kept driving got to her house um she had built a fire that she dug in the ground and she had a big pot of garbanzo beans and placed that in this big massive pit with that's now coals massive pot of garbanzo beans with with onions and garlic and and water and a bunch of different savory herbs 
and and then she took the this grate and put it on top of that big pot and then she slowly lined it with the lamb the grate and then she took a bunch of savory herbs huge branches of them and threw them on top and then agave uh maguey leaves huge cactus leaves um and then she covered it with like blankets and carpets and rocks and it cooked there for six hours and then when she uncovered it it was the most incredible lamb i'd ever had in my life barbacoa is what they call it um and she made handmade corn, tor- flour- corn tortillas but my point is at the end of this after this long day i spent one day with her and at the end of the day, as I was leaving to say goodbye, it was me and this other writer, Molly O'Neill. Um, and I was, as I was, we were leaving, uh, she just kind of started to get emotional. And like I hugged her goodbye and she kind of held on to me a little bit longer. And I realized in that moment she'd never had her photograph made. And in fact, no one had ever spent a day with her just watching her cook and, and how that touched her. And that was a, I, I, I walked down that sidewalk and I looked at Molly and I was like, what was that? You know, we felt it and it was powerful. And that's, that, that's one of my favorite ones because I, I sometimes forget that a lot of people have never even had their photograph made in, a, in, in that sort of way, you know, where someone's really watching you and honoring what you're doing and documenting it and really wanting to know. Well, you know, in these times where we see so many photos of food and so many photos of chefs, it's those people that often go unnoticed. Right. I mean, this woman had basically, you know, she wants to be unnoticed. She runs an, un, you know, undocumented illegal restaurant under her carport. And, you know, I didn't know her personal status. Um, so, you know, I just felt like, Wow. She trusted me, and and I think she felt really honored. Well, I feel very honored that you're here today, and other people should feel that same kind of honor when they see your photographs and see, again, that, that respect and responsibility that you have towards your subjects. But I, I, I don't want to go without mentioning that you're also very open and giving, and you're doing a couple workshops in the fall and the winter. Not, not to do the commercial <laughs> plug about photography, but I, you know... I didn't personally have a mentor in, in, in that, you know, uh, you know, in, in photography. And I feel like it's such a great thing that you're doing to be able to extend that to, to others. So just tell me a little bit about what you're doing in the fall and winter as far as workshops, what people will learn, how they can find out more about it. Sure. So I was, uh, e- I get emails about doing workshops a lot. And, and this one person wrote me an email and it just kind of touched me. And I thought, why aren't you just doing this? Just do a couple and then, you know, you can rest it for a while. And, and I realized that just, I, I think it would just be a nice thing to do, you know? Um, so it's here in New York city. I've done them before. It's been a, definitely two or three years since I've done one. Uh, it's in New York city in a studio in Soho and, uh, we're going to shoot food, but in New York. Um, so that means we're going to light it and we're going to do some different things, but, it's I'm going to be shooting and you're going to really see how I work. I'm also going to have prop stylists and food stylists and a couple other people come speak about shooting and photographing and working in that space. Um, so they're both the same workshop. I'm just kind of spacing them 
apart. But and then, then we're going to end it with eating together. I'm going to find this really cool dim sum place in Chinatown, and we're all just going to go there. And then we can just talk, really talk about you know photography or whatever. But I really, I, I just want to give people an opportunity to really think about if is this something they want to do and and really see it and then and then hopefully educate them on the the responsibilities i think not only in honoring the subject but really and truthfully like how to how to appropriately be paid for your photography and and what what are some things you need to be thinking about if you really consider this as a career i'll see you at one of those workshops Thank you so much for your, your, your honesty, your candidness, and for being on the food scene today. And if you don't know Penny's work, please, please know it. Oh, yeah. You can get the web, website stuff for the workshop on exactly. my website, blah, blah, blah. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene Thank you. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.